That is a brief introduction to this ancient book called Nehemiah that we're going to be studying during our sermon series called Blood, Sweat, and Tears, which we're kicking off today. And as we look at the book of Nehemiah, and if you guys have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Nehemiah. If you're not sure where that is, you can look at the table of contents. If you'd like a Bible and don't have one with you, you can use the Bibles on the tables in the back. And if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take one of those with you. And if you're using a digital device, uh, I'd encourage you to use the uh, U version. is the software, and we're using the English standard version of the text uh, this morning. In Nehemiah, one of the things that we find is uh, an exploration into this question of what does it take to impact the world? What does it take to make a positive impact in the world? What does it take to make a positive impact in your community, in your neighborhood, or in your world? We oftentimes will think about our lives and say, I don't want to waste my life just spending it on myself. I, I want to make an impact. I want, to, I want to make a change for the better. So how do we go about doing that? The book of Nehemiah will help us to see how it is that we ought to go about doing that. And it requires passion and hard work and emotional ownership and sacrifice and care. And we'll look into those things today. The text, Nehemiah, picks up, uh, the video did a great job giving us an overview of it. It picks up uh, many years after God's people in this place called Jerusalem basically get taken over by the Babylonians, and then many of the people who are in Jerusalem get sent into exile. So they get kicked out of their country. So the Babylonians come in and go, 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 go. Wait, is that right? I, I like to imagine that it is. They invented the Tommy gun in Babylon. I don't, you prove it. Right? That's all I got to say. Prove it. Prove it that it's not right. Right? The Babylonians come in and they're just like, gah, 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 gah. and then they take a bunch of people hostage, basically, kick them out of the country, take them into exile into Babylon. Then the Persians come into Babylon and do what? Ah, gah, 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 and then flamethrower. And then they take over the Babylonians. Now it's the Persians who are in charge, and the people of Jerusalem are still in exile. People like Nehemiah are still in exile, but there's a remnant, there's smaller groups of people who head back to Jerusalem. Some of them stayed in Jerusalem, and the town, the city of Jerusalem, is in disrepair and disarray. In fact, the people of that town are completely vulnerable to the attacks of their enemies, which are all around them. And so Nehemiah hears this report. These are Nehemiah's people, but remember, where's Nehemiah? He's in exile underneath the Persians, okay? So he works for this dude named Artaxerxes. He was the cupbearer, which you saw up there. And so this is where the text picks up, all right? You ready? Mm-mm, no, no. Guys, listen, we're gonna need to do a little better than that. We gave cartoons <laughs> to you today. You guys ready? Yeah. Here we go. Nehemiah 1, verses 4 and on. We'll put it up on the screen too here. This is Nehemiah speaking, so check it out. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of the people of Israel which have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. 
But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord. That text ends kind of weird, doesn't it? You've kind of got this prayer, and then at the very end he says, now I was cupbearer to the king. And this serves as kind of a, a very quick transition into what transpires next. But one of the things that we see here is that Nehemiah recognizes that there's a need, namely that Jerusalem is in disrepair. He recognizes there's a need. And the first thing he does is he prays for that need, and he prays for himself. But he prays in such a way that he knows action is required. As a church family, we just got uh, done with 40 days of prayer, an exercise that we uh, challenged ourselves to, to commit ourselves to the Lord. And, and on the back walls there, you'll see uh, just an array of different prayers that we've chosen to, written, uh, to write down on these index cards. And you're free to do that uh, continually throughout this season. Uh, those are on the back of the seat in front of you. And, and prayers of adoration to God and, and prayers of uh, confession to God and prayers of um, request that God would intervene in certain areas and, and meet certain needs. We have those there, and, and Nehemiah does that here. He recognizes that there's a need, and he goes to the Lord in prayer. And what Nehemiah shows us is this reality, that what's required to make an impact positively in the world, what's required is blood, sweat, and what? Tears. Blood, sweat, and tears. We're going to look at those in reverse order. Number one, look at verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, tears. One of the things that's intriguing about Nehemiah here is he doesn't just take in the information and then kind of cold and calculated deal with it. The first response is emotion. He hears about this need. He hears about the, the, the people and their um, vulnerability. He hears about the city that he loves and ruin. And what does he do? He weeps. He shows solidarity with the people. He says, that these are my people. This is, this is my problem. He doesn't rely simply on his position as cupbearer, which is a pretty high up position. He doesn't simply rely on that and say, you know, I'm indifferent to this need, or, or yes, but there's so many needs in the world, and so this one doesn't bother me. Uh, oh, there's, there's too many uh, opportunities to serve, and so I'm just kind of cold and calculated. No, he weeps. He shows ownership, emotional ownership. That's what tears show. But he doesn't just weep in a passing moment. Look at the text. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for what? For days. He's crying for days. Now, why is that important? You and I are, <clears throat> with the age of information and the, uh, the availability of news and stories and needs at our fingertips, we are... Uh, given a fire hydrant of information and needs around the world. I mean, just, I, I mean, I, like if I go on the internet and I want to see like a dolphin knocking a surfer off of his board, uh, I, I watch that and then like another ad shows up or another video shows up and it's like, here's this horrible thing that's happening around the world today. And I think to myself, man, I, maybe I should do something about that. 
namely these dolphins that are attacking surfers. I, I think maybe we need to rise up and take care of business. I don't know. I don't know. Right? I mean, you, get, you check your email, and there's just, there's just information about all these different needs. And of course, in, in our climate here in uh, Phoenix, uh, and in our, the way that things are going right now is everything's like red hot politically. And so we can't even have a conversation about things like refugees without yelling at each other about politics. I mean, there's so many needs and it's so confusing and, and, and there's so many opportunities to serve that many of us were just paralyzed. So let me ask you to consider this. When you feel that maybe God is calling you to meet a need, Commit yourself to prayer for days. See if it still grips you days later or if it was just a passing emotion. I mean, I watch, um, you know, videos of puppies and I get a little, yeah, right? That doesn't mean I'm supposed to do anything about it, right? That's not like God's calling in my life. That's just like, you know, they're puppies or whatever. We look at things and, and simply because there's a need that emotionally impacts us doesn't mean that God has wired us to meet that need. It doesn't mean that he's placed us in a position to meet that need. It's just emotion. But one of the things that you ought to look at as you think about how is God calling me to impact the world is this. What do I care about? Like, what do I weep about? It's interesting. It says that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He wept for his city. He had emotional ownership of his city. Are you concerned about our city, or is this simply a place to live? Uh, for those of you that are Christians, I know not all of us are Christians, and so, uh, and it, by the way, if you're not a Christian here today, you are more than welcome to be here. I'm so glad you're here, and uh, good news for you, you're probably going to watch me yell at the Christians today, so that's awesome, and I'm glad you're here because you get to eavesdrop on what it is that we believe Jesus uh, calls us to. We just, we, we just sang to Jesus, and now we're going to hear from his word because we believe that he's alive and well today that he's conquered over Satan, sin, and death. And so when we celebrate Easter, we don't do that because of tradition. We do that because we actually think it happened. And so Jesus shapes our lives. And one of the things we're going to talk about today is how it is that Jesus shapes our lives as it relates to meeting needs. But for those of us that are Christians who are thinking, okay, does God want me to do anything about that? Look at what Nehemiah does. He prays and weeps for days. There's weeping. What are you weeping about? What are you owning? What are you showing solidarity towards? What are you looking at and saying, these are my people? I mean, God, this is, this is my need. It's intriguing to me. Um, Jesus never calls us to be apathetic to our neighbor. In fact, he goes so far as to say, you should love your neighbor as yourself. How are we to do that? Well, just think. What are the needs that you want to have met in your own life and seek to meet those needs in the lives of others? But we can't love our neighbor as ourselves if we treat our neighbors as strangers and enemies. Uh, Phoenicians, for those of you that are living in Phoenix, we are literally the most inhospitable people ever. And that includes people from Tucson, which is pretty bad. I mean, think about it, right? I mean, there's a few pockets in the city. There's a little change going on in my city. I mean, I'm born and raised Phoenician. I know what's up. I'm afraid of you people. Like, if I see someone else going to the mailbox, I've got one of those mailboxes where there's multiple slots, you know, which is horrifying because on the off chance that I just happen to go be getting my mail at the same time as my neighbor, I'm like, that's the one from two doors down. I don't know about them. 
I mean, this is my neighbor, right? Our natural tendency is to treat the people that live around us like enemies and strangers, not like neighbors and friends. How can you love your neighbor if you don't actually know your neighbor? Is there solidarity? Is this your city? And by the way, for those of you that are Christians, we fundamentally believe that Jesus Christ sovereignly ordains everything that comes to pass. Where you live is no mistake. Like, if you believe in the sovereignty of God, then where you live is a mission field you're called to. Sovereignly ordained by God, who chooses the times and places that people are born into. Do you weep for your city? Number two, sweat. Oh boy, we know it takes hard work to impact the world, don't we? Come on. We gave you cartoons. Come on. Yeah, we know it takes sweat, right? It takes hard work. But I want you to see the type of, and, and throughout the book of Nehemiah, and I, I'm really looking forward to next week, we're going to do something real cool with Pastor Matt, Pastor Rick, and I. We're going to be doing um, kind of a special way of doing a sermon delivery. I'm excited to share that with you. And one of the things we're going to see is the type of leader that Nehemiah is. And, and Nehemiah is the type of leader who gets his hands and his feet dirty working with those who he leads. And I'm excited to share that with you uh, next week. But for right now, one of the things we see in Nehemiah's um, service, in Nehemiah's feeling of God's call, his sensing of God's call, is this hard work. Now, I want you to listen. You ready? Here we go. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord God of heaven, so on and so forth. Then he goes on to pray. What was the work that Nehemiah was doing? Fasting and praying. Now check this out. We live in an age where we can see a need in an instant. And we live in an age in which our arrogance, here we go, in which our arrogance would cause us to believe that every need can be met by me, because I'm awesome. And here's one of the things that happens when we go about serving others with our hearts unchecked. I want you to see what Nehemiah does here. He fasts and he prays, and one of the things that he prays for is he prays repentance. He recognizes in himself an imperfection. He says, I have failed, Lord, to keep your commandments. I repent. I need you to hear me, Lord. Notice Nehemiah doesn't say, what's wrong with all these other people that they ain't helping? All right, fine, I'll get my hands dirty. Now, Nehemiah goes about the hard work. Now listen, the hard work of prayer and fasting. Do you know that prayer and fasting is hard work? You can say amen, I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to pause, and then you say amen, okay, like you're, like you're a real church. Okay, here we go. See what I did there? See what I did there, Matt? Okay, so you know, don't you, I was just kidding, by the way, a little bit. Do you know that prayer and fasting is hard work? Amen. Here we go. Okay. It's hard work. Too often, we, in our arrogance, we fall into temptation of believing that prayer, and very few of us fast, but prayer and fasting is simply the thing that we check off the box before we get our hands dirty. We show up at service projects, and it's like, let's get everyone together. Let's give a little bit of instruction. Let's throw down a quick prayer because we have to because we're Christians, and then we're going to get to the real work. No, but no, the hard work here starts... In prayer and fasting. And by the way, a prayer and fasting that's introspective as well. Nehemiah goes before the Lord and says, my heart ain't right in all this. And you know this, don't you? You know this, that 
how should we say, prayerless activism, prayerless acts of service, oftentimes just beget more injustice. Because here's what ends up happening is, we see a need, we think we're awesome, we don't go to the Lord in prayer and repentance and uh, humility, rather we go in marching in like we are the knights in shining armor to take care of business, and then we look around at everyone else who didn't help. And what do we think of those people? Come on. I'm looking at all you. You didn't help me last week when I was doing my thing. God's obviously called me to do it. Where are you at? What am I thinking? Godless heathens, uncircumcised Philistines, you know, unregenerate pagans. I mean, whatever, right? I mean, isn't that the tendency of the human heart that even when we seek to do a good thing, if we do it for the wrong motives or we do it prayerless, we do it without a heart of repentance and humility, we make that good thing a standard in which to judge everybody else. So we're awesome and you're not. Nehemiah goes before the Lord first to do the hard work of prayer and repentance. Friends, as you see these needs in our community, do you have a tendency to get angry at all the people who aren't helping to meet those needs? Is there a rage within you? What are all these apathetic Phoenicians and their comfortable homes and their golf cart situations? <laughs> oh, I see you had time to play golf, but not enough time to join me down at the hoop to do, help people, right? And it leads to arrogance and further injustice. The majority of societal injustices stem from uh, a group of people who think they're better than other people. Okay, so check this out. When we see needs, if our heart is at all uh, broken or tempted or marred, we have to go to the Lord in prayer and repentance and humility we cannot lead and we cannot serve righteously out of a heart of arrogance, out of a prayerless heart, and a heart of indifference towards God. We must be a people of prayer and do the hard work. Tears, emotional ownership, sweat, the hard work of prayer and repentance, and finally, blood. Look at what Nehemiah does. This is fascinating to me. Look at verse 11. So this is the end of his prayer and then that last little verse that we, that we talked about a minute ago. He says this, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of... Okay, now TV time out. <clears throat> listen to how Nehemiah refers to himself in this prayer. Are you ready? I want you to listen to him. I ask you, okay, what's his title? What's the title he's given to himself? This is what he says. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. What, did it, what title to give himself? Servant. servant. Your servant servant. That only comes out of a heart of repentance. The heart of your servant. I'm just a servant here, okay? Not a king, not a boss man, just a servant. To the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, this is interesting. Listen to how he ends the prayer. Grant him, he's talking about himself, grant him, your servant, mercy in the sight of this man. Now, who's this man? That was his boss, Artaxerxes, right? Persian king. Now, here's what's uh, unique about this. 
How many of you ever are nervous going to your boss to ask for something you're not sure if they're going to like? Guys, just air it out, okay? Air it out. How many of you are nervous about going to authority figures, asking them for things that you don't know that they're going to like? Right? Like, look at what Nehemiah does. Uh, he's about to go ask for some, for some scratch. He's about to ask for a super long vacation, right? Like, years. He's currently the cupbearer, so that's a big deal. And he's asking to go back to a place that they're kind of like, oh, what's the word? Enemies with each other. It's like, let me go back to a place that maybe I'm going to start an uprising and throw off the evil yoke of my oppressor. Oh, that's you. <laughs> right? Now, what kind of chutzpah does it take to do what Nehemiah is about to do? A lot. Now, what's he putting on the line? I mean, guys, everything. And here's the other thing, too. From what we know about ancient Persian kings is they were a touch fickle. <laughs> just a touch. If they didn't like your face, they would just remove it from your body. Okay? And we have record in the scriptures and outside the scriptures of people going before the king and doing something they didn't like, and they're just like, just, just, just you know, kill them. Okay. Skip. I mean, there's no judge, jury. I mean, there's, it's like Judge Dredd is like right there, just judge, jury, and executioner, taking care of business. So is Nehemiah maybe a little concerned about what's up? Yeah, it's another good reason to go to the Lord in prayer. Like, I don't know, like you're calling me to do what now? Give him, give me mercy in the sight of this man. We live in an age of slacktivism. You guys ever heard that terminology before? I love it. Slacktivism. Slacker activism. We see a need, and we get all upset about it at our desk. And we're going to act on it by clicking a button. And we're going to make a difference for two minutes while we put a thing on our Facebook. And then we're going to go have a latte. And uh, that's about it. And tomorrow we'll do something else. We live in a culture in which it is uh, almost um, unheard of to not post something or digitally engage with something around the world, a need around the world. It, it's almost like, oh, do you not care about people? What, what, you want me to push a button to show you I care about people? I pushed a button last week. What do you want? But I thought, doesn't that count for this week? No, no, no. You need to do the Facebook filter this week. Because how do I know you really care about people? I don't know. Put your money where your mouth is. We live in an age where we love we love words without action. We love protest without cost. We love to speak without any risk. Oh, we're going to pound the pulpit hard. And we're going to write little things and we're going to post our thing and we're going to talk about it at dinner and then we're going to yell about it at work. But we're not going to put our boots on the ground. That's the culture that we're in, okay? Slacktivism. Now, Nehemiah does the hard work of going to the Lord in prayer, rightfully so, but he goes to the Lord in prayer recognizing that that is gonna lead to action, and it's gonna lead to sacrifice, and it's gonna lead to blood. He is putting what on the line? 
everything. This isn't words without action. This isn't a post without risk. This is, I'm gonna put everything in, in the lane. I'm gonna put all of my resources on the line. Because in order to make a real impact in my community, in order to make a real difference, there's gotta be tears. I've gotta own it. There's gotta be sweat. I gotta do the hard work, the praying and the acting. And I gotta be willing to sacrifice blood. And Jesus says to his followers, take up your cross and follow me, not take up your Snuggie. There is comfort in the Lord. Friends, there is a deep and abiding comfort in the Lord that he promises us in the most horrifying and scary of circumstances. We don't need the comfort of the Lord if we're comfortable being apathetic at home. We need the comfort of the Lord when we're following his will for us, when we're answering his call. And he is faithful and true to comfort us when we feel out of balance, when we feel off kilter, when we feel like everything can be taken away from us. I wanna ask you this question, and this is just for the Christians, and I want you to be serious about this. You don't have to answer this out loud, okay? So this is one of those times where you just be quiet and think. If you have Jesus, what can be taken away from you? Therefore, if you truly have Jesus, and he calls you to sacrifice, what at the end of the day will you sacrifice that you will not gain back tenfold in him? You see, as a church family, we, we, we've done a solid 40 years. And just as the lead pastor here, I am super proud of being a part of the awesome tradition of this amazing church family. I came to know the Lord here. I've seen many of you come to know the Lord here. I've seen this church family sacrifice for others. You and I are the beneficiaries of the radical generosity and sacrifice of those whose names you don't even know because the Lord used them and then the Lord took them home. And we don't get get their name on a plaque or nothing. They just did it because they love the Lord. But they gave radically They sacrificed generously. They trusted enormously. And 40 years from now, when you've got, when you you hate the music, and you would really like the pastor to not say some of those words that he seems seems to keep saying up on the stage, you get yourself a new pastor by then, I think. What are you gonna look back on 40 years from now, what are you going to look back on and say, okay, I'm proud of our church family. I'm honored to be a part of what we did as an act of faithfulness and radical generosity for our community, for our city, for the Lord. Because Jesus is risen. So, blood, sweat, and tears. Friends, you know this, don't you? I, I hope that you do. Jesus calls you to a life of radical generosity and sacrifice. And in a world of such great need, we must be a people who are constantly and consistently praying, Lord, how would you have us use our skills, gifts, talents, and resources to meet those needs? We must. And when he reveals to us, you're going to do this thing. I want you guys to do this thing. Here's the need. I've equipped you. Now go meet it. In that moment, what do we need? Courage. Courage. And strength. 
And so let me leave you with this. Do you not see that we can do this because Christ indwells within us? He has wept for you in the Garden of Gethsemane. He wept over Jerusalem. He wept. He, he has wept for this community. He cares. Two, the Lord has sweat for us. And more than anything, he has given his blood for us. Blood, sweat, and tears. Friends, because Jesus has done this, and because three days after his crucifixion, he rose from the grave, conquering over Satan, sin, and death, he stands victorious over the grave, and he is a source of power for us, if we would but entrust ourselves to him. So let me ask you this, and then I'm going to pray. We're going to sing and then get out of here. I'd ask you to close your eyes now. If you're a follower of Jesus, will you cling to your Redeemer? For as long as the Lord has you here, will you cling to your Redeemer? Two, are you willing to pray, Lord, what are you calling me to do now? And if you are, I'd encourage you to pray that now. Three, are you willing to do the hard work of consistent and ongoing prayer and repentance? Praying on behalf of yourself and on behalf of your community. And finally, recognizing that God has called you to something and in doing the hard work of prayer and repentance, what will you sacrifice for the mission that God has called you to? And then I will remind you of the first. Will you cling to your Redeemer? Let me pray for us all. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for the many ways you provide for us, for this church family, for this community that you've called us to. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see people as you see them, that we would love our neighbor as ourself as you, has, as you have called us to, that we would be a people who shower one another, this community, and the world with love, with generosity, and with grace. We know that you call us to radical sacrifice and generosity, and we pray that you would now focus our minds and our hearts on you, that you might be our power source to live that out. May we not be a people who desire to make an impact for our community for our own name, but for your name alone, that we might be forgotten and that you might be exalted, and in so doing that we might receive great joy for now and into eternity. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.